I want to tell you you're an amazing, worshiping, praying church. And I love just being a part, and I think it's a privilege to be a part of what God is doing. But to be a part of what God is doing in the city I love, with the people I love, uh, you challenge me, you inspire me every single day. And uh, so my wife, I'll talk for Heather and myself because she's over in Fairfax this morning at the Fairfax campus. But uh, we love you dearly. God has great things for us together as we move forward. And uh, I've got something I want to talk about today. And I'm just going to, we're going to multitask for a minute. If you can go ahead and open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll, we'll get that moving. Uh, we want to lay a foundation. If you're wondering what kind of church you're in, it's a church that really, really, really loves the Bible. And we think God's ideas are the best. And uh, especially, uh, like we, we like to be honest with ourselves that God's principles are not suggestions. They are sure thing guarantees to living the best life that God designed for you. You know, he designed you. He created you. The Bible says while you were in your mother's womb, he saw you there, knows everything about you, and he knows how it, you will run best in life. Did you know that? And uh, Ephesians 4 is going to help us out. But before we read that, uh, we're talking the last few weeks about us. You know, we're taking time this fall to talk about who we are as a church family. Um, because as a church family, you understand, we come together as a collective identity. We just filled this room, and here we are in the formation of a crowd. But a crowd and a formation and a gathering is not necessarily a community. Are you here? Are you tracking so far? Um, in order for that to happen, there has to be a collective identity that we, that we all buy into. So th- what that means is when you and me and he and she get together, we have, we've become a we, but there's something bigger beyond the we, and that is uh, when we become us. And us is something bigger. Uh, it's a collective word of identity. It's affinity. It's unity. It's, it's community is what it is. And if you break down the word community, it, all it is is common unity. And so th- we're taking this fall to talk about what's our common unity? What are the things we rally around? What are the big big uh, ideas that God has for us as a church, because you understand we're a Jesus-centered community, but that doesn't mean we get to pick our identity. Hello? We're a Jesus-centered community, and that means we have a God-authored identity. God gets to say what we look like, how we act, what we value, where we put our time, all of those things. And so uh, together, we're God's big plan to reveal Jesus, because at the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And when people see us, uh, we're, we're God's idea to show Jesus to the world. So I want to talk about us. And last week, Heather started, we, we started with we're a praying church. And we did that for three or four weeks, and we prayed, and it was amazing, and we're going to keep praying. It's not something you do. It's something you are, right? And so, but Heather started last week, we're a connecting church. And, uh, you know, last week we, we answered the question why we connect and where we connect. And we enjoyed Citizen Group Sunday. Hopefully you got in a group. I think uh, Patty, Patty Lehman is our uh, director of all citizen groups. And she's, she's amazing. And she reported, I think she said 87% of the people in church last week joined a group. And that's amazing statistics. So if you haven't gotten a group, help us. Uh, don't just help our statistic, help yourself get into a group. There's a reason we connect. We're a connecting church, okay? Um, but today I want to answer the question, how do we connect, all right? We, we answered why and where. Now I want to do, how is it possible to really have a deep connection with people so different? 
All right. So do you have Ephesians 4? Are you ready to read? Okay. It, it, we'll put it on the big screen, I think. Are we working? Oh, you guys are amazing. Tech team, thank you for just, I don't know why it is you spend a lot of money on technology and you only need it to run for about two hours a week. And it is for whatever reason, like, I don't know why, but thank you guys for pulling the strings you pull. Uh, we'll start at verse one. It says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and with diligence to, to preserve the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. We thank you for uh, the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We thank you that we can walk in this. We can walk it out. We can, we can live this, Father, as a church. It's who we are. It's, it's the us that you envision so, Father, we pray that there would be an open heart to receive. Holy Spirit, you would have your way. And, Lord, today, against the insurmountable odds of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, we do ask that you would help our Washington football team. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hey, a few weeks ago, I introduced you uh, to somebody very close to me and my family, uh, close in our life. And uh, she has a little more to teach us, so I, I want to bring her back for an encore. Uh, guys, what do you mean? This is Libby. <laughs> Here's Libby, and this is my son, Easton. How you doing, East? Good. Good. Okay, good to see you, ma'am. And uh, I noticed she's slobbering a lot. Um, this is Libby. Show them her face. Get, bring her right over here so they can all see. Yeah, this is Libby. Yeah. You can sit on the edge and pet her if you want. Just chill with her. You want to sit down and hang with her for a minute? You're fine? Okay. Uh, this is Libby. And, and on the fourth day when God created all the creeping things, uh, Libby is a French bulldog. And, and the French bulldog was not among the breeds created on the fourth day. In fact, God would never look down upon this creature as much as we love her. We do. Uh, and say, this is good. He wouldn't. Now, don't, don't try to judge me. This French bulldog is 100% the product of man's intervention. It is. Uh, we did this. And uh, there's nothing about this breed that is natural, Okay. There's nothing about it that's useful. Um, there's nothing about this that we would assign to God's creative genius. Um, or even natural selection. Especially not natural selection. Um, in fact, it's, it's unnatural what's transpired here before you. We call her the tube of dog. Uh, she has no contour. She's just a cylinder with legs. She is... <laughs> Oh, we call her the thundering rhino. That's right. The what? And a pig. Pig, yes. She, she acts like a pig. And um, it's really, what, what happened here is a long time ago in the late 1800s, some people got together and they, they took the unholy trinity of a pug, a bulldog, and a terrier, and this is what they got. And uh, all of her glory. And uh, this is, this is uh, to, you're doing good. Libby is, she's got, 
one thing that I just always think of when I think about Libby is she could not exist in the wild. French bulldogs can't exist in the wild. Um, and there's the, everything about them shouldn't be. Um, and I'll give you some examples here. Um, she has no survival instincts whatsoever. She doesn't. Um, she has no capacity to elude or defend herself against predators. It's true. Uh, that's just the way it is. And, and you might say, well, maybe she, she couldn't survive in the wild, but she probably, does, she probably does the little things right, like breathing. No. She has a hard time breathing. The vet said she's like, she's, this breed, it's like them trying to breathe through a straw. We didn't know this when we got Libby, but she has a hard time breathing. Uh, what else? Um, oh, she snores. She snores. She snores like a pig, and uh, I can hear her on the second floor when she's snoring on the first floor, and that's not an exaggeration. She snores really, really loud, and uh, I want to be careful about Libby's feelings and your sensibilities. But there's other things Libby can't do. Um, she has some anatomical challenges, so. If she were to meet, say, a French bulldog boy that she really, really liked, and it turned into love, and God was into it and blessed their union, <laughs> she would not be able to consummate their love because of the position of French bulldogs. They can't align themselves for love's final act. <laughs> Did we say that? Oh, oh, wait, I'll let you tell that. I'll let you tell that. I was wondering what you were going to add to that part. So, without human intervention, French Bulldog would not ever have puppies in their tummy. But even if they could, they can't have puppies. They can't give birth. So what do we have to do? Cut open their stomachs. All French Bulldogs have to be get taken by cesarean because they cannot give birth. Now, now you're realizing why I said this is 100% the design of man and would not survive in the wild. Uh, then there's, let's just say, in the wild, they were able to somehow slip one past the goalie, give birth. Most French bulldog puppies are suffocated and smothered by the mom when she rolls over on them while she sleeps. So they have great maternal instincts, too. <laughs> this is the French bulldog. Uh, physically unable to do so many things. Um, and so I, I think that's enough of Libby. Can you tell Easton and Libby, thank you for coming out. Thank you, guys. She's got some self-help books and some, a pint of ice cream back there. She's, she's on a journey to, you know, self-acceptance. We'll, she'll get there at some point. But um, what you saw is not natural. Can we all agree? Like if, 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 it, if every step has to be intervention and interruption. Uh, it's not natural uh, with, unless there's an outside source. So I want to talk about us this morning. I want to apply that because there's something that cannot originate within a church. There's something that cannot originate within a community of faith, but by the intervention and interruption of our fallen, selfish, divisive nature. Do you hear me? We need an intervention and interruption. And the thing that it takes is it's unity. And unity is not natural among us. It's not in our nature. It takes connection. It takes deep connection. It takes uh, authentic connection. It takes supernatural connection to live in unity when there's so much 
diversity of thought, of ideas, of finances, of life and worldview, of mission and purpose. It takes supernatural unity. And so let's remind ourselves, you know, we just read Ephesians 4. We can put it up again. But he, he says, I urge you to walk, and this is something we can walk today. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's not in our nature, but it's going to, there's an, there's an open door for us to grab hold of this kind of connection and walk it out. And it says there's going to be humility, there's going to be gentleness, there's going to be patience. And then it says this, we're going to bear with one another in love. See, love is this, is this empowering force, and it's not your love or your desire to be loving or act loving or to appear loving. It's a supernatural love from a supernatural God. It's his love. And it says that, that we'll have this love and that then it'll take, even after you get the love, it's going to take perseverance and diligence. And then there comes this unity of the spirit through the bond of peace that we see. See, unity in the midst of incredible diversity is a component of a God-authored identity. You get it? Unity in the midst of so much diversity. That's a component. It's a key component of who we need to be because that's our God-authored identity. So we can't sleep on unity. Are you here? I I realize it's not lost on me that I'm talking about unity in the most divided city of the most divided times. But the gospel works everywhere you go. The gospel works in every year that you live. The gospel works through every season and challenge and trial that you find yourself in. The gospel works. And so walk in it takes humility, gentleness, all of this in love through the bond of peace. Now that word peace, and I'm going to move as as quickly as I can, but peace, uh, the word literally means, it means to join together, like to knit together, to connect at a deep level, to become one with one another. So when it talks about being this bond of peace, remember, we're united in love through the bond of peace. We're talking about there's this bond of connectedness that has to happen, but the only way it can happen is through love. It doesn't happen because you convince somebody with your incredibly insightful 140 characters or less. Right? It, It happens because you made a decision to choose love And choose connectedness over rightness. Connectedness over being (laughs) heardness. Connectedness. Let's talk about us. And as we talk about us, we're talking about this idea that Ephesians goes on. Actually, chapter 4, verse 16. Let's put this up. And we're just going to motor through a a few thoughts. I'm going to give you two ideas today. But but, uh, chapter 4, verse 16 says... From him, the whole body, from him, it's Jesus. That's how this all works. It's the only way this works. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. That's that that idea, that peace, that joining, that knitting together. We're joining, built together by him. And then it says, when we connect, we grow and we build ourselves up in love. He initiated it with his love. And now we're loving with a supernatural love that allows us not only to be connected, but now we start growing. And now we start, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, arising to a place. And it says, as each part does its work. See, we each have a part to do. And that's why we always say at Citizen Heights, we're not everything we're going to, we're not everything we're supposed to be as a church until you're everything you're supposed to be as the part you're supposed to play. 
every ligament, every member, every person comes together and we're impacted by his love, but now we're enabled by his love. And so you can love everybody in this room, everybody at your workplace. Hard word, Pastor. Everybody in your family, everybody on your block, there is a supernatural capacity to love. Love is what holds the bond of peace. And it's an outside source, right? It's an intervention. It's an interruption of how we think to love because we typically love to get something back. We typically love with quid pro quo in mind, in exchange for something for something. Even when you get married and think you're selfless in love, and then there's something that wasn't meeting your expectations for a few weeks, and so you start holding back because, hey, they didn't come through for me, so why should I come through for that? Oh, wait, I'm loving to get something. See, there's a supernatural side of love. So what's it look like for us? Two thoughts. Are you ready? If you like to take notes, this is a great time to make a pastor think that you're taking notes by looking at your device or scribbling with your pen. <laughs> Number one, uh, we love people like Jesus loved people. That's who we are. Let me just talk about us. We love people like Jesus loved people. That's what we love. That's how we love. Jesus didn't, and look at this, Jesus didn't just heal people. He didn't just feed people. He didn't just provide for people or teach people or lead people or, or call people or guide people or direct people. Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people. And if we're going to be building what he said to build, if we're going to have that God-authored identity that he told us to have, guess what? You and I are on a journey. It starts with being loved. And some of us are still trying to figure that out. We're still trying to earn it even though you don't have to. We're still trying to get somehow convince God we're worthy of it even though we'll never be worthy of his love. But his grace, he just gives it. He just gives it. And our hardship is just learning how to receive his love. But once you receive his love, then you start to give his love. The apostles had to learn that. The apostle John learned it. Matter of fact, the apostle John, he referred to himself as the apostle, the disciple that Jesus loved. He just reminded himself all the time, Jesus loves people. And not just people in general, not just out there in the world, not just those suffering through Florence. Jesus loves me. I mean, that's why that little song that we used to sing in Sunday school so many years ago, it's so powerful because if you let it really get into your spirit and silence all the voices in your head to say, well, you don't really deserve it. Well, you couldn't really qualify. No, no. Jesus loves me. This I know. I might not know anything else today, but I know I am loved. And John reminded himself, he said, I'll tell you who I am. I'm the disciple Jesus loved. You don't, you don't have to call me John. Just call me. You can abbreviate if you want, but disciple Jesus loved. That's me. There was, Mark chapter 10, there was a, a rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And um, I love that story because I always think of young professionals like, uh, you know, the, our young professionals. To me, they're rich young professionals in the city. And, uh, you know, they come in and, and this young professional comes to Jesus and said, you know, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know, don't call me good. Only one is good, the Father. And then he gives them instructions of, you know, keep the law and do this and do that. By the way, a list of things that the young man never could have done. And the young man says to him, and a fairly self-righteous and, and detached from his own spiritual inventory way, he says, I've done all that. What else you got? 
And we many times read Jesus' response like it's a rebuke or like it's this big clapback at the young man, this rich young ruler, but it's, it's not at all. In fact, look what he says in verse 21. He says, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, there's just one thing you lack. <laughs> Jesus looked at him and loved him. When Lazarus died, you remember when Lazarus died, John chapter 11 tells the story of Lazarus, a close friend. Jesus was connected. He lived a connected life on earth. He's God in the flesh. He's connected with the Father and the Spirit. Yet the Son allowed himself to be deeply relationally connected on earth. And his friend Lazarus dies. He, he rolls up to the scene on, in John chapter 11. And it says, because I remember it, it's the first verse I memorized. Verse 35. Do you know it? Jesus wept. And you, and, and you, you, you read that and you go, okay, Je- Jesus wept. But look at the exclamation, verse 36. Then the Jews there said, see how he loved him? Like we can see that he loves people. Man, that's, has, has there ever been a figure of religion? Has there ever been a, a figure of of, of claimed divine roots that has been so accessible and made himself so connected and involved than Jesus. See how he loved them. We love like Jesus loves. We love the individual, right? At a personal level, that's, that's us. And we don't just love the good ones. We don't just love the people who do us right. We don't just love the people who give us what we want. Jesus gave us a, he said, yeah, yeah, you, you would think that you could do this naturally if we just left it there. But then he brings us to Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, and he says, love, I'll tell you what, love your enemies. Love those that bless, bless and those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Love those at a level, even the enemies. See, we're unified in our resolve to love practically, to love extravagantly. Come on, to love sacrificially. Now, we don't have to get on a cross and die, but you might have to take your opinion and say, you know what, it's not worth compromising the connectedness and the peace and the love that I have for you. Now, you're going to have relationships that are durable enough and deep enough where there's mature enough, because let me tell you, holding the bond of peace is an act of maturity, spiritual maturity. Uh, to, to hold that thing together. And you'll have some friends, and, and, and we'll all get to a place where there's enough maturity and friends that are deep enough that you can have some big, deep conversations. But when you begin to sense, wait a minute, this is causing fracture. This isn't bringing life. This isn't bringing health. They're wrong as wrong can be, but what am I going to do? I'm going to love them. I'm just going to sacrifice this five minutes of feeling good about telling them the way it is. Because it's not going to help them. And love is about saying things the other person is enabled to receive. Not saying things that make you feel good for having said them. See, love is totally, it's, it's sacrificing some things that you might want to do or say. We're an all in whoever needs us church. That's who we are. We're an all-in. We'll love you through it all, church. We're an all-in. We'll love you when you're committing felonies, figuratively, spiritually, 
Even literally, it's happened. <laughs> we'll love you through everything. That's how we're going to love as a church. And I'm so proud of you this week. Just, you know, we were talking about Daniel Dixon earlier and um, this little boy going through heart surgery. And uh, this church you love so practically and sacrificially. And I just, the stories that I was hearing from the Dixon family, they were telling me how uh, we have people in our church that I didn't know this, who have gone through that with their children, open heart surgery. And so they're going over to the house, giving them like this uh, piece of jewelry with a heart on it. I think it was Suzanne Fuller um, came over and gave her, uh, the Dixons, this bracelet with a heart on it. said, somebody gave me a bracelet with a heart on it when I went through this, and this is going to be symbolic. You're going to get to the other side of this. And, and, and begin to talk her through and walk her through. This is what it's going to look like, but God is able. And give her. And then uh, we have Melly Leahy, who's, um, who works in a cardiac unit. And so she shows up and starts giving them advice and aftercare and, and all these things. And then we have an amazing surgeon. Uh, in the church, um, who also, he, he, can, he can make a phone call and make things happen. And so he makes a call and says, I'm going to send my residents by just to check on them extra special, just make sure, you know, we, all the people in our church start coming out, and they, the Dixons put out a meal train, which wasn't a thing w- when I was younger. There wasn't a meal train. If you went through cataclysmic traumatic events, you got McDonald's when you could, or you ate at the hospital. I told John Dixon, I was like, I want to come over to your house and eat for a while, because this church just dominated the meal train. It was gone in minutes. Heather and I logged on, and we're like, they're gone. All the spots are gone. We, we don't get a spot now. And so people are still bringing extra food over. They put on a GoFundMe just to be able to handle some of the expenses, and it was double what they, their goal was. I mean, that's just how you love. It's just how you love. But we don't stop when there's a, a difference of opinion. We don't stop when, when we hit a wall and think, well, I, I thought they were more like me. I thought we had more affinity. Well, find the commonality in the only thing that matters. Jesus loves you both. You're blood brothers because of it. He died for you both. And so we can get through this in love in a supernatural way. Oh, I don't even think. Where did I get? Do I have any notes here? All right, so that's number one, right? Connected. We love people like Jesus love people. You have a part. The whole body grows and builds itself up in love. Remember that. Each part does its work. You got work to do. You got a part to play. Number two, uh, we as a church, Citizen Heights, this is just us. We love the church like Jesus loved the church. That's us. That's who we are. And I didn't hear a lot of amen, so I'm going to preach real hard on this. I don't have much time, but I might have to. We love the church like Jesus loved the church. See, Jesus didn't just die for the church and try to set up its basic foundations and move on. You hear me? Jesus did more than that. Jesus loves the church, and Jesus is, perfect present tense, building the church. You hear me? Jesus is building the church. We're unified in our commitment to go all in and love people, and we're unified in our resolve to go all in and love his church and build his church. Again, not many amens, so I'm going to give extra verses for extra credit. Ephesians 5, 2, let me just give a couple of verses because some of us need faith to, to step into this new realm of what is this, loving the church and loving what God is building. Ephesians 5, 2 gets it going, um, talking about walk in love, just as Christ loved who? 
Okay, let's try it again. Just as Christ loved and gave himself up for as a fragrant sacrificial offering to God. Jesus didn't just give himself up for you. He gave himself up for us. He had a collective idea in mind that we, there would be a family that would be in a city within a city, that there would be a, a hill, a, a tower, a safe place for us to gather. When we, so, so love the church. Jesus does. I mean, can I say anything simply like that? Love the church. Jesus loves the church. If Jesus loves the church, I'm going to love the church. Yeah, but the church isn't as good as Jesus. I understand that. And you and I are part of the problem, but that's all right. We'll just love each other where we're at. And we'll just move the ball forward as best we can, knowing that it really isn't resting upon our effort. It's just resting upon our willingness and his grace. And so if we just commit to say, you know, I'm going to love the church. Because when we engage and when we serve and when we sacrifice, uh, when we love, we become us. The us that God pictured. Let me give you another one out of Ephesians 5, verse 25. And it says, uh, you can see this, husbands, love your wives. Amen? Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love the church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself up. We love the church and we give stuff up. Right? If you love the church, you're giving stuff up. You gave Sunday morning up, could have been sleeping, probably forgot to update your fantasy football lineup, could be doing many other things. Some of us at the end of our experience today, when it's time to receive our offering, we're going to give financially. We're giving stuff up. All of our citizen group leaders who are the best of the best of the best, by the way, they're giving up time, effort. David here in the front row, he's a CrossFit coach. And he makes money when people come to CrossFit and he gets to train them. And you know what he said? I would rather use my thing. On Friday night, I'm going to open it up and I'm not going to get paid. I'm just going to open it up and I'm going to open the gym. I'm going to train people for free. He's giving stuff up. You know, people showed up at 7 a.m. this morning, gave up stuff. There's people unloading two 24-foot trailers in Fairfax at the Fairfax campus this morning. They're giving stuff up. We give We love the community, so we decide. Jesus decided in the garden. If possible, Father, could you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And then he asks three times, and then he makes a decision. I'm going to give myself up because I love the us that I see. There's an us. We love the community, so we decide. I'm all in. I'm all in. I'm all in. We're going to give stuff up. Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus loves the church, so we love the church. Jesus is building the church, so we're building the church. Listen, when I, every season of my life, I was building the church because somebody early in my life showed me this, this truth about us, and I bought in, and I said, you know what? Even when I'm a student, I'm building the church. Even when I'm, I'm a real estate agent, I'm building the church. Even when I'm working at McDonald's, I need the church to build me right now because I'm in a tough place. All right. Even when I'm a, a lawyer, I'm building the church. Come on. Even if I'm w- working a, as, you know, a temp, you're building the church. It's not something for a select few. It's for us. It's for all of us. We're all building together. So whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole being. Not as unto men, but unto God. 
Come on, that's how we build. Why? Because the Bible says those who are planted in the house of our God, that they're going to flourish. That, see, when you buy into loving people and loving the church, your life gets bigger. It doesn't mean it's always going to be perfect. It doesn't mean it's always going to be great. See, that's one of the truly great things about our church. We're an all-in, whatever-it-takes church. Nothing's a problem. Consider it done. We're there. Whatever you need. I mean, I could just go through this whole, I could go through this whole room. I could start front row with Jacob. Jacob Jones, four years ago, didn't know how to play the drums. Our drummer left the church. He said, okay, I'll learn. You, you don't just pick up an instrument and then hop on stage and put earphones in. And our worship team plays to a click track. And if you're a musician, you know that means something. He said, no, I'll do it. And I remember, I remember getting out of my office late at night and coming by, and I'd hear somebody drumming in here, and I'd peek in, and there's Jacob. He's got his headset on. Nobody else is here. It's all dark in this room. And he's back there with his headset on because that's the worship set for that Sunday. And he doesn't want to interrupt somebody's moment with God just because he wasn't prepared. And so he's putting hours and hours and hours into it. People like Katie Padgett. Also on the front row. We could just talk about front row people. If you want to get into the message, just sit on the front row next week. She went to an event last weekend, bringing a, a bunch of people in a van, and she wrote me the email, like, hey, we're going up here, we're going to do this. And then she puts a sentence because she knows, she knows me. She's like, it was a Saturday thing. And she says, don't worry, we will be back and ready to roll Sunday morning for Citizen Group Sunday. Whatever it takes, we'll be back. We'll be fresh. The church won't get our leftovers. Come on. Church won't just get whatever we had to spare. Because there's people. If we really love people, you love the church. Because guess what? The church is people. That's what you love. And because you love Jesus, you love what he loves. We could go on and on and on. Amy Martha Brown. Is she in the front row? She's second row. <laughs> so many things. You know, she... She does our shopping for hospitality and for, for events. And so last year, it was last year or the year before for the block party, she went to Costco. Have you ever gone to Costco? I mean, hell. Have you gone to hell? Right? And, uh, and shopped for yourself. Maybe you shopped for your family of two, three, four, five. Have you ever shopped for one, 1,500, 2,000 people? And then she comes... And then she comes back. She comes back, and then we had a rain date that one year. So she packed it all up in her car and returned it to Costco so that it would be fresh the next week for our rain date. See, behind the scenes, there's people who said, you know, I'm all in. I'll do whatever it takes. And you have a part to play. And when you play your part, we're going to go to another level. Why? Because we're a deeply, deeply connected church. Deeply connected. I could go on all day about the people in our church. I, and I love Chase and Martina so much. They, they've been moving into a house for about 12 years now. It's, it's true. It's been so long. They bought a house. They had some things they wanted to do before, before they moved in. And so they've been trying to do the things. And 
and just diligently working on it. Well, I use the word diligently loosely, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. And uh, he's got to do all this painting. And, and last week we had Heights men. And I know he's got to paint his house. I know there's all this stuff. And he just, he just feels the weight. I got I to gotta get my family moved in. I gotta, we got to do this. And uh, I email him because this is us. We say, hey, Heights Men is Saturday morning. I'm going to be, I was way out in Virginia at a golf tournament. I had to drive in for the thing. I said, I'm not going to be there early enough. Could you, could you go open the church, set up chairs, set up the tables so we can do Heights Men, right? Here's a guy who hasn't moved his own furniture into his own house. His, absolutely, I'm on it, no problem. Absolutely, nothing's a problem. I'm all in. You know, you give honor to whom honor is due because I think we have a church filled with people like this. But I also know there's more of us. There's you and the person next to you. And you've kind of been part of the the formation of, of we, but maybe you just haven't stepped into that threshold of us. Maybe today's your day. I want to close right now, and I'd like to close with the story, but I'm over time. Um, but I'll, I'll just say, you know, Libby is, you know, I'll just tell you about Libby. Libby, Libby's, when I see her, I, honestly, there's like a, a word just stamped on her. It's just unnatural, you know, that's just how I feel about her. Like it's an abomination or something. This is, people should not have done this. Matter of fact, we, we purchased her to breed her because her puppies are worth between five and $8,000 each. And so I used to refer to her as the canine ATM. Like when she was a puppy and she walked into the house, I was just like, she's gonna make it, she's gonna be the only dog in history to pay her way. This is amazing. And then after a couple trips to the vet, the vet was just like, well, yeah, she has skin conditions. She's on three different kinds of medications. She's had five surgeries. I'm not kidding you. This is what it's taken to keep this, it's unnatural. And uh, I told you earlier, she doesn't have a, a will to survive. And I meant it. I was playing, she has an unhealthy relationship with a Frisbee we own, and she's very, very committed to this Frisbee, and uh, she'll go anywhere this Frisbee goes. And so we're playing catch one day, and, and you know, we live off a busy street, military, and uh, so I threw it, and you know how Frisbees are, like, I feel like I, I feel like I excel at Frisbee throwing, but once in a while, it just, and so it just went out of our yard, over our hedge, and into four lanes of rush hour traffic. And Libby took off as I yelled and disappeared through the hedges and leaped into the street. And my vision's obscured. I see her jump into the street and all these bushes are blocking my view and I'm just holding my ears because I don't want to hear the sound. And I'm muttering to myself, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead thought for sure she was dead. I didn't know at the time my two oldest sons had just pulled up across the street and had seen the whole thing. And I hear them start yelling, Dad, what are you doing? Because <laughs> they think I'm trying to eliminate <laughs> a nuisance in my life. Trust me, we have too much in this dog to let it go. And uh, I'm just saying, she's dead, she's dead, she's dead. And a few minutes go by, and boop, her head pops up through the hedge with her Frisbee. 
She comes trotting over to me, and I think there's going to be, her back is going to be, something's, something's wrong. And she's perfectly fine. She's perfectly fine. Like, how did she live? I said, this is a miracle. You know, I've been saying it's unnatural, this type of unity. But it's, it's what it really is, is it's supernatural. It shouldn't be. And that's why when people walk in this room, and they say, there's no way there's a church that'll love me, and we love them anyway. They say, there's no way there's a church that has a place for me, and there's a place for them anyway. When they walk in and say, there's no way that God has, he knows me. So how could he love me? And we convince them otherwise. They're going to say, truly God is among you. This is supernatural. This is something that only God could do, that you love each other this much, even though you're all so different. That's us. Can we pray? Father, we thank you for your design, your, your vision, how you see us. God, we believe. As we're going to step forward into your heart for us, we're a team that's willing to do whatever it takes for others because that's how you got to us. You did whatever it takes. So, Father, we respond to you. And just right now, all across this room, if this is for you, just slip up your hand and say, that's me. I'm, th- I, I want to be part of this us. i got to be part of what God is doing all over the room. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Say, I'm raising my hand. I want to be part of it. Say, Father, I'm all in from this point forward. Father, I'm, I, I'll do whatever it takes to love people and to build your church. Jesus, take my life. It's yours. Even as you surrendered, even as you gave things up, God, I'm going to give things up to step into this new place. You can put your hands down. I want to pray for one other group of people today. Jesus did whatever it takes to get to you. And the most powerful thing you can do right now is simply receive the grace of God. And it's a simple prayer of surrender. And I'm going to count to three. When I hit three, I'm just going to invite you to lift your hand very quickly. By lifting your hand, you're not joining a church. Although at some point, I'm going to encourage you to do that. By lifting your hand, you're you're not signaling for us to call you out or call attention to you. I'm not going to trick you into standing up or coming forward. This is something between you and heaven. But I also believe there's something supernatural that happens when there's an outward response to an inward decision. And you lift your hand and you say, Jesus, you can have my life. Are you ready? One, don't wait. Today is a day. Two, it might be the first time you've ever prayed this prayer. It might be a recommitment moment. Because if you're honest, you don't really know where you stand with God. But you can leave here sure today. Are you ready? One, two, three. Hands in the air. There they are. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else say, yeah, that's me. Include me in that prayer. I'm going to pray a general prayer over us all. Thank you. I see you too. Anybody else up in the balcony? Maybe you're watching on video or listening at home, this is for you. Church, are we ready to pray with these? Maybe you didn't feel comfortable raising your hand, but you're going to pray this prayer boldly with us anyway. Dear Jesus, I give you my life because you first gave me yours. I love you, Jesus, because you first loved me. So I surrender all I am in Jesus' name. Now say this boldly. I am a Christian. By grace I've been saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we rejoice with those who just prayed that prayer?